Hi, everybody. I'm Maurice Merrick, and this is Hot Lap, a new feature of the Horsepower Heritage podcast. And the idea here is this is just a quick take on a subject, whether it's motorsport or design or a significant moment in the history of cars and motorcycles. Today's Hot Lap is brought to you by the good people at Model Citizen Diecast. They sell collector-grade scale model cars, and they've got a special deal just for my listeners. You've got to check out some of the stuff they sell from the Amalgam Collection, like this 1967 Porsche 911R, or the 1965 Ferrari 250 Le Mans. I mean, the detail is amazing. Really cool stuff. Go to their website at modelcitizendiecast.com, use the code HERITAGE at checkout, and they'll give you 10% off your order. Limitations apply. That's modelcitizendiecast.com, because your inner child still wants to play with cars. And now let's get to it. Here's today's hot lap. Beverly Hills, California. Before the high-end shopping of Rodeo Drive and the private helicopter pads of the rich and famous, there was the Beverly Hills Speedway, a one-and-a-quarter-mile racetrack that, at the height of its popularity, attracted over 85,000 fans on a single day. And then, in just a few short years, the Speedway disappeared forever. Now, we all think of Beverly Hills the same way, right? Swimming pools, movie stars. But in 1900, it was just acres and acres of farmland growing tomatoes and lima beans. About halfway between the city of Los Angeles, population 280,000, and the seaside town of Santa Monica. Some oil men bought the land that year and began to drill, but they mostly came up dry. So they parlayed that venture into a land and water company and started selling real estate, calling the development Beverly Hills. Actually, most of the land there is pretty flat, and for a while it was simply known as Beverly. The motion picture business left the East Coast for Hollywood in 1910, and the Beverly Hills Hotel opened in May of 1912. And pretty soon, movie people and wealthy Easterners were building their mansions. Beverly Hills was on its way. All the growth in Southern California also meant miles and miles of new roads, and that meant car sales. One of the men selling them was Cliff Durant, the son of Billy Durant, the founder of General Motors, who I told you all about in episode 12 of Horsepower Heritage. If you haven't heard that one yet, check it out. Anyway, Cliff Durant was a hard-drinking playboy, and he was the West Coast sales director for Chevrolet. And to promote his business, he got into racing, and he was actually pretty good. By the way, one of his racing rivals was Eddie Rickenbacker, who drove for the Duesenberg brothers and Peugeot, and later became America's top flying ace in World War I. By this time, auto racing was getting well-established in the area, with a number of tracks and even road races in Corona and Santa Monica, and they rivaled their European counterparts. So in 1919, Cliff Durant, along with the movie director Cecil B. DeMille and a handful of other investors, bought some vacant land in Beverly Hills and began construction of the Beverly Hills Speedway on the corner of Santa Monica and Wilshire Boulevards. It was a banked board track oval with a massive timber framework underneath and huge grandstands on the straightaways. Because of the banking, the outside edge of the track was close to 40 feet off the ground. The track opened on February 28, 1920, and 50,000 fans watched a Duesenberg win the 250-mile season opener, averaging 103 miles per hour. 
Keep in mind that this was at a time when the cars were incredibly difficult to drive fast, and you had a riding mechanic sitting next to you, monitoring your oil pressure, fuel pressure, and tire wear, and troubleshooting any hiccups along the way. Board tracks were also notoriously dangerous because they were subject to rapid wear under the constant pounding they suffered. Planks would come loose and get launched into the air or get run over and splinter into a thousand pieces. In the last race of the season, on Thanksgiving Day 1920, three cars tangled late in the race. One of the cars spun and rolled over on the infield, and another hit the embankment wall at speed. The crash killed one riding mechanic and two of the drivers. One of the drivers was Eddie O'Donnell, who'd gotten his start as Eddie Rickenbacker's riding mechanic. His Duesenberg was the car that spun and rolled. The other driver was Gaston Chevrolet, the youngest of the three Chevrolet brothers. He'd already won the Indy 500 six months earlier, and he'd made enough points by that time in the Beverly Hills race to make him the 1920 national champion, a title he received posthumously. The crash happened this afternoon on lap 146 of the 250-mile race when his car hit the wall. Reports are that he was killed instantly. Driver Eddie O'Donnell was also involved and was rushed to the hospital by ambulance. He is said to be in grave condition. More reports as we get them. This is radio station KFI in Los Angeles, a division of Earl C. Anthony Incorporated. He was driving a Frontenac race car, the fledgling brand that his brother Louis started after quitting Chevrolet. Board tracks were also popular for motorcycle racing, which was in full swing, with Harley-Davidson's Indians and Excelsiors flying around at over 100 miles per hour, with their rigid frames, flathead engines, hand shifters, and no front brakes. The Beverly Hills Speedway wasn't unique in terms of its design. There were plenty of board track speedways all around the country, but the track proved to be faster than Indianapolis, and the advantage of having a wintertime track brought in all the biggest names in racing. The biggest of these was a Los Angeles local, Harry Miller, the greatest American racing car designer of the 20th century. Miller was more or less a self-taught mechanical genius. He'd worked for Ransom Olds, the founder of Oldsmobile, but he left Michigan for California in 1906, and he began manufacturing his own design of carburetor. It was a brilliant piece of engineering, and the design was quickly acquired by a bigger firm. Miller then designed a completely new carburetor, which was even better than the last, and he was experimenting with his own aluminum alloys. Soon he was making entire cars with his own four-cylinder engines, using tricks he'd learned from Mercedes-Benz and Peugeot. Twin overhead cams, four valves per cylinder, and wet cylinder liners for improved cooling. Miller tested his cars at the Beverly Hills Speedway, and they would dominate American racing for years to come. He incorporated inboard hydraulic brakes and front-wheel drive decades before these technologies became commonplace. On a Tuesday morning in 1922, you could hop on the Pacific Electric Streetcar in downtown Los Angeles and ride it about 14 miles to Beverly Hills, then walk over to the Speedway, sit in an empty grandstand, and watch Harry Miller's cars go round and round, making automotive history. It was a magical time. Billy Durant was one of Miller's biggest backers, and he fielded an entire team of his own Durant-Miller racing cars in the years after he was forced out of General Motors, and the team ran seven cars side-by-side down the boards. 
but in a few short years, it was all gone. Board tracks cost a fortune to maintain, and their era was gradually coming to a close. The real clincher was that the value of real estate in Beverly Hills soon far exceeded the Speedway's earning potential, and that hastened its demise. And the neighbors weren't very happy about all that noise. On February 24, 1924, the last race was run at the Speedway. The winner was a guy named Harlan Fengler in a Miller, averaging 116.6 miles per hour. Not long afterward, the Speedway was dismantled, and the roar of those Millers and Duesenbergs was replaced by the snorting of bulldozers. In its place rose the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and hundreds of new homes. As for Cliff Durant, the playboy racer who had started it all, he stayed in Beverly Hills, but his fortunes were ruined by his hard-drinking ways. His first wife divorced him and married Eddie Rickenbacker. Durant Motors failed in 1933, dashing his father's hopes for a comeback. Cliff Durant suffered a fatal heart attack at his Beverly Hills home in 1937 at the age of 46. And that's the story of the Beverly Hills Speedway, a brief but shining moment in American racing history. That does it for this hot lap. Horsepower Heritage will be back next week. If you like what you've heard, follow the podcast, tell your friends about it, and don't forget to leave me a five-star review. Also, check out the website at horsepowerheritage.com. And if you want to get in touch, just click on the contact button there. Until next time, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.